brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. Welcome to another episode of Honest Money. We, we've been uh, nagging one of our favorite guests to rejoin us, R- Rupert Hare, who is head of multi-asset at Precent Investment Management. Rupert, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Warren. Thanks to all the listeners and our viewers for dialing in as well. So, so the reason that, uh, th- that we like having you on the show is that you take these complicated concepts, which often can sound like Greek to a lot of people, and you, and you make it quite simple for, for someone like me to understand, which, which I appreciate. So today we're taking a, a bit of a complicated topic, and it's around this, this whole debate around active versus passive or active versus index investing. And I think maybe, I mean, to kick off, we need to just talk about what those are, because those are it's just my, my jargon radar is just flashing now going, you know, why, why, why are we throwing jargon at people? But I think, I think it is worth talking about. And, and so maybe we need to just discuss that and w- what those terms are. And, and then maybe why do we care? You know, why is it important? Yeah, no, great introduction. So I think something that's evolved over the years let's just go back to the in south africa in particular go back to the origins of asset management we had active managers by definition people that stock pick stocks and the aggregation of active managers gives you this index so in essence you have let's say 20 different active managers one's buying one's selling a certain stock market cap of that stock goes up or down and then what in general passive indices are is simply the market cap weighted exposures of different different underlying stocks. The difference being that active managers are looking to print what's called alpha, so outperformance over that passive benchmark. And the key in general, and we'll go into this in a bit more detail, but in general, active managers will charge you higher fees. And the reason for that is that they're going to be on the road, they're going to be going out to meet the CEO of pick and pay or whatever it might be to get insight, well, not in, I can't say inside information, but insights into the underlying companies, right? And the idea there is that they're going to either have a little bit more or a little bit less or none of a, a particular company, and they're looking to give you outperformance by doing so. Um, so, so. So keeping in mind, there's a higher fee in general for those active funds. That was the start of asset management essentially in South Africa in, in its current form of pure asset management. And then came along the indices, which was the aggregation of, of these active funds and underlying picks, which were packaged into what's called passive funds. So passive funds, they look to simply give you the weighted benchmark of those underlying indices. So the all share index, it'll give you whatever the weight is to Nasper, Spick and Pay, Steinhoff, whatever it might be. They don't try and pick stocks. And the reason for that is, is essentially fees, right? Because those passive funds, they don't have to go on the road. They don't have to go and pick stocks. They don't have to do inside, insights to different online companies. They're simply trying to provide you with a product at a very, very low fee solution. So, so, so then maybe to my kind of throwaway question, though, but, but why do we care? Why, why would someone want to know that those differences? Yeah. So I guess one of the biggest problems at the moment is that you're approaching the industry, which is very much evolved from the 80s and 90s when there were very few managers to pick from. Now, for instance, if you look at high equity as a category, which is perhaps the most popular, so multi-asset high equity funds, there are at last count, I think it was 215 funds. So the big question that's existed over the last 10, 15 years, and this is a global question, is how do, a, how do we pick one out of those, or let's say five out of those 200 plus managers? And then B, is it worth picking those active funds 
to try and get a little bit more than the average performance of underlying managers? Or should you rather go for the low cost solution and just use that as, a, as a, an anchor in a portfolio? And the question that's, that's, that's always up for debate is, is it actually worth picking active funds? And spoiler alert, in South Africa, more often than not, it's not. And, and, and I say that in, with a disclaimer in that there are a lot of active managers who do deliver alpha, but the fees simply just don't justify um, picking those, those active managers. They actually do make alpha, so outperformance of the benchmark, but essentially you're paying a lot of it away in the fees that you give to that manager. Okay, so so we we've got just for kind of my my very simplistic summary of this, we've got fund managers from years ago who who would typically pay big research teams, internal research teams, and, and external stockbroker research teams, and they would all go out and kick the tires of every business and every bond and every property they own, and and get an understanding as much as they possibly could of how those businesses work. Uh, whether those companies are their share prices are cheap or expensive, and therefore whether the, the fund managers should buy those businesses or avoid them, or, or, or maybe you know blend them into into other kind of portfolios of, of assets. And over time, that was kind of the, the whole industry. And and you know in the early days, I mean I, I grew up in this industry in the 1990s. You know active managers charged massive fees, had huge marketing budgets, paid for lots of incentive trips for 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 agents and brokers to go overseas and 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 you know the, the clients were the ones that weren't benefiting as much as they should so i guess the industry evolves to to the point where fees become a massive focus and and then the rise of of these index trackers and and i think you know i mean just doing some research before the the, the podcast you know you know if you look at the, the history of active managers and 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 their outperformance of of an index it works out you know from from the research i've seen it's, it's sort of one or two out of 10 Active managers get it right to 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 beat the index, and and so that that is a I mean that's not a, v- a very high success rate, especially because it's not always the same one or two managers every year you know year after year after year, and, and for me you know if, if I were to answer that question about why do we care, I think the reason we care is that the, that outperformance by those one or two managers out of ten is really significant. You know th- those managers that that do get it right to beat the index, and you know especially over long periods of time. Their, their outperformance is quite significant, and and for someone like me looking at this, I think that outperformance is too big to to simply ignore, and, and so that that maybe is you know is the point here is is you know if you don't have the time or the inclination or, or you're a cynic about the industry, you might just go go the passive route. But if you're looking you know for a combination where where you're saying well actually I, I would like low fees. But 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 at the same time, I would like to have the chance to get that one, you know, to be in those one or two outperformers. Then I think you know, active managers certainly have a, a role to play, and especially now that the fees have come down. I think you know, I mean, it's it's no secret that the fees, you know, in the past were huge, and and certainly the, the pressure has been on to 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 drop those fees and for active managers to justify why they charge those fees. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to get to exactly that point now, just the comparison between us and the rest of the world. But just going back to your point on active managers, I think the biggest question for me, at least, or for other investors should be how active are those active managers? Because going back to the 90s, they were very active. You know, they would they would be like the one would have 20 percent of this and the other wouldn't even wouldn't have it at all because it was a much more it was a small industry in terms of the, the assets chasing that alpha profile. And and it was as 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 such 
it was a lot more justified to pick an active manager. And we've seen that through time. I mean, you mentioned sort of two, two out of 10 beating the benchmark in those days. And in the 2000s, it was actually a lot more of them that beat the benchmarks. But the problem in a way was that those guys got bigger and bigger. And by getting bigger, you are concentrated or, or almost forced to hold different companies pretty close to the market cap of the underlying company. So, so basically benchmark weighted in any case. Yeah. So then it comes out to the end of the day that you're paying, let's say, 2% 2, 2 TIC, so total investment charges, 2% for someone that's giving you the underlying or very close to the underlying passive benchmark, which they call closet index trackers. So you mentioned the 2 out of 10. More often than not, those are guys that are taking proper active bets that, that, that can actually do so. And I think that's, that's a space that is still very active in South Africa in terms of there are managers out there who can do that. And, and uh, you call them unicorns or whatever you want to call them, but they, they do exist. So I'm not saying that active is, is dead. I'm just saying that active isn't quite the active of the 1990s. And and maybe just just to close on that point, I mean, you know, I, w I was still a, a youngster and, and very wet behind the ears in those days. But but one thing was very obvious to me was there was a lot of insider trading in those days. And that was how some of those managers got that outperformance was lots of boozy lunches with management of companies. And and, you know, the, the more the fund managers kind of, you know, watered the. the the CEOs and the FDs, the more loose they, they became with their information. And I think you know, to the credit of the regulators and everybody else, the industry is now, I, I think, much tougher on things like that. And, and, and the ability for, for people to get away with inside information, I think, is incredibly small now. I think, you know, it's, it's yeah. an efficient industry and, and, and research is quality research, not, not, you know, quality inside information. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also the, the, the key in this information age is how fast that data comes out. So go back to the 90s again, and you literally had balance sheets, et cetera, which would come out in printed format, and you'd have analysts going through them and, and highlighting numbers and saying, this doesn't quite look right, et cetera. So there definitely was value in that. But now, I mean, I sit on a Bloomberg terminal, and as soon as a company releases their financials, it comes out to me on the spot. So what you can do in these day, this day and age is you can just build rules based on it. So I can say that I want, I don't want companies with a certain EBITDA margin. I, I, I rule them all out in, in the space of a second, right? So that's another big shift that we've seen within the industry. And a lot of the active managers are embracing it. So they're saying, great, let's, let's broaden our universe. Let's make screens and filters so we don't have to focus or waste a lot of time on companies which really don't look good from the outset. Okay. So, so now we're now we're in a space where where we need to ask kind of a hard question: Is you know, is it worthwhile paying active manager? You know, shouldn't we just kind of sit back and let the index do its thing and and you know get the you know be number seven out of ten all the time? Yeah. So I think two points to that. So we talk about the index doing its thing. By definition, if you buy a passive fund, you're going to underperform the index by the amount of fees that you're paying, right? So you're going to get the index less your fees, which a lot of people are very comfortable with, but you have to have made that overall investment decision to buy SA equities in the first place, right? So, so, so that in itself is a choice. How much equities do you have? How much bonds do you have, et cetera? And, 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 and that's something which I think faces a lot of investors at the moment. But just talking towards fees, I think that's a very, very important point in this discussion. In South Africa, and this is quite an interesting um, survey from S&P that I focus on quite a lot, in South Africa, again, in multi-asset high equity, if we compare ourselves to the offshore markets, so the United States and the UK, we are currently having, this is amongst active managers, an average fee load of the management fee alone of 1.3%. 
In the UK, it's somewhere in the region of 80 basis points. And in the US, it's 60 basis points. So, so, so maybe just sorry to interrupt you there for a second. So, so 1.3% a year, 0.8% a year and 03 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so significant differences between us and other offshore e- e- economy, economies or markets. And the question that I think always comes to mind is why? So how, how can our active managers still charge such high fees when, as you quoted earlier, let's say two out of 10 of them actually beat the benchmark? So I think that's going to be a significant pressure over the next couple of years. And it has been for quite a while now on the active guys and the passive guys to reduce their fees because you just can't warrant, let's say in the 90s, you you could perhaps have created five, 10% alpha and you're paying, let's say, 1% of that away. That's kind of warranted given the amount of groundwork that was done. And and now you, you aren't necessarily getting that alpha performance. So a lot of people are A, hugging that benchmark but B, still charging that, that high fee load. So there's two things which definitely contradict each other in our industry at the moment. And, and, so, and so do we, I mean, if I'm sitting here listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm taking away from this that it is more complicated. It's not so simple. And, and secondly, that, that, that there is still a possibility that, that if, if at the very least I, I want exposure to active managers, I might actually get some performance above the, above the index. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can definitely screen or have a look out for active managers who have constantly delivered that alpha profile, and there are some of them, and also active managers that charge lower fees, because there are also some of them that are front running the market in a way and saying, listen, we don't, we can't justify charging such high fees. In fact, it doesn't work out in our favor because you then get negative alpha or, ne- or underperformance on the benchmark simply by paying away at fees. So they're in essence ahead of the game when it comes to fees. So those two things um, combine the two consistent performance and relatively low fee load. And you're, you're at a pretty good starting point amongst active managers. So, so maybe just a little bit of nuts and bolts. When you say consistent performance, we are, you know, if I'm looking at the, those returns, am I looking at over what sort of time frame does does it become realistic to say, okay, this is cons- this is consistent? You know, I mean, right. um, to me, a year is a waste of time. So, you know, I mean, anyone can be number one or you know at the bottom of the ranking over a year, but 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 where do we say, okay, now they're actually delivering? Now they now this is a, a team worth watching. Yeah. So I think. The answer to that is, is there isn't an answer, but if you can look at as many periods as possible, try and match that to your own horizon. So let's give you an example on this one. Let's say you have a one-year horizon for whatever reason it might be, and for whatever, probably the wrong reason, you're picking a, a, a more higher risk equity manager. Now, an equity manager that makes 20% in one year and then loses 20% in the next, of which, I mean, there are quite a few of them, right? Yeah. And that's their game. That's not what they they're not trying to, they don't do it by mistake. That's that's by design how the product works. But if you go in at the period when it's up 20% and then in a year's time, it's down 20%, you've lost a lot of money simply by the unfortunate reason that you've mistimed the market. And I don't believe in market timing. I think it's impossible to, to market time like that. So rather focus on the type of underlying product that you're investing in. Um, than, than trying to time in and out of the, of the manager. My point being that if you're looking at a manager, look at the one year, look at the five year, look at the 10 year. They always going to show you the thing that looks best, that shows them in the best light, as one does. We, we will often, and I won't deny it in this industry, we do package things in the best way we can. But if you're doing a little bit deeper due diligence, try and look at all the different periods to give a better idea and understanding of how the manager performs in periods of stress, on an ongoing basis, all those sorts of things. 
So, so you know, it's, it's I mean, in, in, the, in the books that I've written, in the podcasts we've done, I've always said, I, I feel that, that this is not an either or debate. You know, I think that the, the index providers love to kind of stir up controversy and say, you know, you should only be in, in index and you should only be passive. And then the active managers get upset and say, you know, the index guys are all wasting time. And, yeah. and to me, the industry is broad enough and they're enough. There is enough scope globally, you know, not just in, in SA, where, where you should look at, if it's me as a private individual, I, I would look at a combination. I, don't, I think it's too, there are too many opportunities to, to be too specific. But, but the right. one thing for me that I always think about is with, with a good active manager in, in the space in which you operate. So, so back, kind of back to your, your comfort levels around, around multi-assets. And, and for me, that's maybe where, where I take the most comfort from an active manager is the ability to go, well, you know, I might not be able to pick every great share and I might not be able to pick every great bond, but I can more consistently say, I think bonds are offering a bit better value now. And I think shares may be less, less value, et cetera, et cetera. And moving, moving that, the, the kind of mix of assets in a portfolio more aggressively than I could do it on my own as, a, as an individual investor. And, and then equally, I think now that that regulations 20, 28 has changed where, if, you know, balanced funds can have a bigger allocation offshore. I think... That's a really tough decision for a private investor to make is how much, how much to send offshore when. Yeah. And, and I think in those kind of, you know, you, you were saying high equity. So just, you know, just for, for most people out there, we're talking about, you know, the funds that are generally called balanced funds. So they've got a large allocation to shares. And now all of a sudden, you know, someone like Rupert and his team can go, well, we're going to buy South African shares, American bonds. British cash, you know, and, and move around. I'm not, I'm not saying he's doing that, so I'm not putting words in your mouth, Rupert. But, but it's those decisions where, where uh, you know, someone like me would, would just spend hours and hours just worrying about the rand dollar and, and missing, you know, the, the, the asset prices. And I feel like maybe that's the advantage. I'm not convinced that someone who only buys shares, you know, an equity-only fund manager in South Africa is going to deliver massive returns above the benchmark for the next decade. I think it, our market's so small. But the moment you go into that that mix of assets where you can buy a whole bunch of assets, I'm, I'm much more convinced there that a manager can deliver better returns than someone who just statically buys, you know, cash bonds, property shares and, and forgets about it. Yeah. So, I mean, spot on. So what we look into is the amount of variance. In other words, the amount of movement in your portfolios that can be explained by two things. The one is stock picking. And the second is the asset allocations and the lion's share of that comes from asset allocations. So it's saying, you know, as you said, how much equity versus how many, how much bonds do you have in the portfolio? That's the real, the real decision that needs to be make, made, especially for a, someone who's at different stages of their life cycle. That's the toughest part of this industry. So for us, we focus the majority of our time on that. That's where we believe that we can add alpha. We don't pick stocks at Prescient. So I have to just add Prescient into the mix at, at all times. We don't pick stocks <laughs> that's, your, that's your one pitch, your, your one pitch per show. <laughs> <laughs> because, it's, because of that difficulty in making alpha, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's so difficult that we just don't believe that we, we at least, have that two out of 10 ability to, to pick significant alpha generative stocks. But what we do believe, and this is a general statement, not just Prescient, is that you can make significant alpha within the fixed income market. So there you're looking to beat essentially cash or be it shorter duration bonds, whatever it might be, you have a lot more certainty, especially in South Africa to beat that underlying benchmark. So whilst we aren't active in the underlying stock picks, 
We are active in the asset allocations that we choose. So how much stocks and, and how many bonds that we put in our portfolio. And then we are also active in which types of bonds we put in the portfolio, because those two things we think are much more certain in terms of alpha generative abilities within the industry. And that, that in essence, is, is a mix of active and passive. And I think this comes back to your earlier point. They aren't, they aren't mutually exclusive in any way. I mean, I mentioned earlier that the active guys have got a lot of overlap with the passives because they have some of them become more closet index trackers, as we call them. They're very similar to the passive funds. Likewise, within the passive funds, you are still paying away fees. And the second thing which always fascinates me in passive funds is, especially within multi-asset, where let's say you get a mix of 60% stocks, 40% bonds, right? For a passive fund, they because they want to keep your costs low, they'll rebalance that twice a year, some, most of them, right? Yeah. So in the six months in, in, in between those rebalances, your portfolios can diverge quite significantly. And they do that to, to keep your TIC, your, your, your overall costs low, because trading costs you money. Whereas the active funds, they, they trade a lot more actively by definition. So they will have higher TICs, so total investment charges, because they are looking to trade more frequently than passive funds. So, so just be aware of those two different dynamics that passive funds in general can have a bit of drift away from what you think is on the label. And and they, they do the bigger funds, those bigger passive funds de- tend to trade a little bit more frequently, whereas the smaller ones will then rebalance less frequently. So you'll find, you know, the bigger guys now will be, uh, I think they they end up rebalancing once a quarter j- just because of this this ability. I remember watching them, you know, w- with when Nasdaq was booming. You know, and, and, you know, it would need to be X percent of the fund and suddenly it was X plus 3%, you know, and, and, and that was freaking everyone out because now you've overexposed to one share. Yeah. And, and again, the active managers would be staying, you know, quite vocal there to say, well, that's now you've got real single company risk. And, and, and in converse, you'd have other active managers saying you don't have enough exposure to Nasdaq. We're buying even more. Okay. And, and so, and, and that's the beauty of the industry is it does give you a lot of opportunities. Uh, for for diversity of of, of uh, approach and 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 therefore there are some risks to that, but but I do think I, I do think it's an important thing to understand for investors that you, you know we we need to focus. I think you mentioned it quite a few times, and I think it's worth reiterating again. When you're looking at fees, you're not just looking at an annual management fee. You're you're looking at, at the total investment charge, which is the annual management fee plus the auditing fees and all that stuff plus the brokering brokerage charges, the transaction fees inside that fund, and I think. You know, some fund managers just drive, you know, even the passive managers, I've seen a few where, where they, you know, they they really broadcast their, their annual management fee, but but they really hide their TRC. And I yeah. suspect it's because they own their own stockbrokers. And, and then all of a sudden, they're, they're drilling their clients with lots of transaction charges and, and it's, it's, it's hidden. And that, you know, so, so be careful that not all passive is low cost. And I, and I think it's a point to, you know, the, there are lots of product providers out there who are very clever marketing machines, not necessarily out there to kind of generate the best return for clients. And, and I think be careful there. TRC is a golden number to focus on yeah definitely i think that it's something that a lot of broader broad-based investors don't look at but it's very very important to get to get through that point that it it can cost you quite a significant amount to get the exposure that you think you're getting and just on that point going back to my earlier point of the management fees across geographies so south africa the united kingdom and the us why might that be and this is one of my theories at least one reason is that in the us and the uk you generally make lower overall returns because you've got lower inflation. So let's say you make 5% annualized. For them, that's quite a good return, right? 
but you can't charge two percent on five percent because almost all of your annualized returns yeah. so that's that, that kind of like there was a filter or, or pressure on those managers to reduce those fee loads in south africa for a very long time we've had quite high inflation which means that a lot of managers can charge let's say two percent when they're making you 12 percent because to yeah. an investor they say oh that's not that much really but it is actually a significant amount of fees and and, and to me I, I i obsess about fees and i focus on that very very often and i think that it's it's something which is going to change in south africa as the return profiles do decrease inflation in general is going to structurally they're looking to decrease it with the central bank and um, if that does happen there's going to be more and more pressure on on underlying fees in south africa Rupert, we've blown through our time by, by not hours, but lots of minutes. So uh, I just wanted to wrap it up there. I think it's a great closing point. And, and just to thank you very much for your time. It's as always, I'm learning and, and thank you for sharing your, your knowledge. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to Warren and, and thanks to all the listeners for, for dialing in again. It's always a pleasure. Brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. 